Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Since when do you know how to fly? A hundred and ninety years old? Wow, you look great. Welcome back. This is Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Solo, a Star Wars story. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, my name is Don. And to my right, we have the comic book guy, John. Looking good in my Wookiee pelt tonight. And to my left, the professor, Ken. You know, I've got a good feeling about tonight. <laughs> solo a star wars story was the second spin-off or the second i guess separate story from the skywalker trilogy second star wars story yeah yeah what was the other one don uh rogue one rogue one yeah did you like rogue one i actually i liked rogue one i really really enjoyed rogue one i thought they fucking mm-hmm. nailed it solo came out on may 25th 2018 It was directed by Ron Howard, screenplay by Jonathan Kazdan and Lawrence Kazdan. Stars Alden Ennerich. Ennerich? I I think it's Ennerich. Yeah, him, Woody Harrelson, Amelia Clark, Donald Glover, Thandie Newton, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Johannes Samoto, and Peter Bentney. Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. What did I say? Peter. Peter. Oh, for fuck's sakes. I'm looking right at it. It's Peter Bentney. And you just said Peter again. I know. (laughs) Fuck that guy. So this was written by Jonathan Kasdan and Lawrence Kasdan. Do you know what else Lawrence Lawrence Kasdan wrote? Probably the greatest Star Wars movie, or arguably one of the greatest Star Wars movies. I I agreed with your first statement, but yes, correct. Yeah. The Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he also got in and... In, Jedi? Oh, probably. Uh, maybe. Uh, but I think he's involved in the Indiana Jones series as well. I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, so Kazdan and Lucas and Spielberg, I think they were all kind of in cahoots together back in the day. Yeah, I was I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see his name as uh, one of the writers. Me too. Because at least he got it. At least he got Han as a character. And I'm just going to go out and say it. Han Solo is easily easily my favorite character in the entire star wars universe with that in mind how does this feel going in to watch this the first time knowing that he is your favorite character in cinematic movie history and you are looking at a prequel story he's my favorite character in the star wars universe not in the cinematic history um i don't know who my favorite character okay but but that's a good question i I understand what you're saying top five right i I see what you're saying top five um real quick i felt kind of a little apprehensive going into it uh, only because i've always said that this movie had the same problem that mad max fury road had and i think we talked about this in the road warrior uh tom hardy was no mel gibson so that right there kind of just takes me out because the character's iconic and uh, han solo i would probably hold above mad max okay so when right? you were so, so when my, you were watching fury road your arms are crossed across your chest saying impress me no 
Okay, so you were open to Fury Road. Were you open like this in solo? Yes. Okay. I tried to be. Okay, John, what about you? I don't know. I think I'm with Don. I was stuck on, was he going to live up to Harrison Ford? And, and that's, that's the, the, that was the question. Wait, Harrison Ford or Han Solo? Harrison Ford playing Han Solo. That, they're interchangeable. You know, that Harrison Ford is Han Solo. And I just felt like he didn't feel this, like the same character, like a younger version of the same character to me. He felt like a brand new character. Because, see, that's what it was for me, too. It's like, man, this movie has some really big shoes to fill because we have had years of being able to say to ourselves, this is who Han Solo is. Han Solo means so much mm-hmm. to us. And all that has been said in the cinematic stories and all that has been said inside of our heads, no, Han's not like that. Yes, Han would totally do that. Yes, Han shot first. Absolutely. All of these feelings, all these preconceived notions, and you go and you're going to show me a story about Han Solo? Good luck. Something we've talked about before is going into a movie with high expectations and going into a movie with low expectations. I hate when I go into a movie with high expectations because then a lot of times the movie does not live up to the hype. Uh, The only movie I can say that lived up to the hype of high expectations was The Dark Knight because I went into it with high expectations and it met them. Uh, Going into this movie, I had high expectations I'm not sure it quite met it. I like going to movies with low expectations and being pleasantly surprised. What would you say, Don? My expectations were kind of uh, at ground level. Uh, Rogue One really impressed me, so my my hopes were kind of high. But again, every time I saw, and I liked the trailer. Uh, the trailer was fun. Two things right off the bat kind of just, I wouldn't say bothered me. They They were just on my mind a lot while I was anticipating this film and even seeing this film. One, the dude they got is no Harrison Ford. But God bless him, he did try. And there were moments where he he got the mannerisms and he, he got the cadence and he got little bits of it, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't all the time. He, he was slipping in and out of character for me. And the other one was Amelia Clark. I hate when prequels introduce characters that they're going to try and get you to love, but you know they're not going to make it because we don't see him ever again. We know who Han ultimately ends up with, right? So, and maybe that's why it had to end the way it did, but Amelia Clark as that character, I didn't like her in Terminator. I, she was okay in Game of Thrones. I'm, I'm just not really that impressed with her as an actress. And if you're listening, Miss Clark, I do apologize. I'm sure you are a lovely person. And she was brilliant in game of thrones okay well i didn't want to just bag on she her is the dragon queen as, she really is and that last season kind of fucked it up for her but anyways so my expectations going in were at ground level and after i watched it i think that that film's heart was in the right place and there was a lot of cute callbacks and lip service to the fans it was enjoyable it was it was fun i guess but yeah i guess it was one of those instances where what my expectations were i wouldn't say they were lower I didn't come out thinking that it was worse than I thought it was going to be. I'll go ahead and say it was better than I thought it was going to be. Let me ask you a piece of trivia here. You mentioned earlier this movie came out on May 25th, 2018. What other movie came out on May 25th? Uh, that would be Star Wars. Duh. May 25th, 1977. Star Wars, A New Hope. Not at that time. Duh. When it was released for the very first time, it was called Star Wars. It mm. wasn't until after Empire Strikes Back came out that they dubbed it A New Hope. Did I just stump you? 
I did not realize Hell that. yeah. Where's my clapping? Oh, man, I got rid of it. <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah, crazy, huh? During an adventure into the criminal underworld, Han Solo meets his future co-pilot Chewbacca and encounters Lando Calrissian years before joining the Rebellion. You know, this movie was made for $300 million and it looks like it made $393 million. And I could probably tell you that that $300 million that they made back uh, was just off the Star Wars name alone. Yep. Right. That's probably why it didn't do that great in the theaters. And it probably got that initially. You know, oh, yeah. Sure. A lot of but it yeah, came but, in when just the Star Wars went flocking to the theaters. Yeah. Just like with get the, their Star the early Wars previews. Specs. And yeah. Yeah. For sure. Totally. The company was asking for $500 million to break even. And so for it to come in under that, they would consider it a financial loss. Uh, first Star Wars movie in history to be a financial loss, I believe. Everything else was great. But this was kind of a troubled production to begin with. There was, yeah, it was plagued with numerous issues. Yeah. Uh, Ron Howard, who gets credit for directing... Wasn't the original directors? Do you know who the original directors were? Oh, I, I did not put that into. I know my it notes. was the gentleman from uh, the Lego Movie, but yeah. I don't remember their name. Yeah, there, Phil two, Lord there, and yeah, there's there's two of them. Someone else. They're executive producers. Yeah. Why did they, they? They at least got the executive producer credit, right? I guess there was uh, they left on bad terms. Say, why cre- did they leave? Creative yeah. differences, I believe. I, so the their impression was that the movie was supposed to be put together as kind of a comedy. And so they were doing a lot of lighthearted stuff with it and coming off the Lego movie and such. They were very uh, laid back about stuff. They were, and they were on board with actors improvising scenes. Lawrence Kasdan was really frustrated how the script was not being followed. He wanted it a little kind of sort of word for word and it wasn't going down like that and the dailies that uh kennedy kathleen kennedy was looking at she's like i don't think this is what we're looking for and so as things progressed they decided this is moving in the wrong direction and so as a result they we got to let you go this we're not on the same page and Ron Howard didn't want to do a Star Wars movie originally. No, he didn't. He was offered Phantom Menace originally. Ah, you fucker, I was going to throw that out as <laughs> trivia. And he, yeah, and he, uh, he thought it'd be too daunting to live up to the hype of a Star Wars movie. But they still got him to come in to get to this movie. Well, he also had like 20 years under his belt of, of directing other movies. Yeah. there. Uh, Spielberg was offered Sith. I can't remember who uh, Lucas wanted to direct uh attack of the clones and, but and it wasn't him lucas didn't want to direct any th- uh well did any lucas, of the three did lucas even have any say in solo because i thought at this point disney had taken oh, no, over no, 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 no. and did they this... had thrown his ideas out the oh, window yeah, yeah no no i mean he's he i'm sure he gets to be heard yeah. but whether or not they listen he had right. a whole idea for a solo trilogy and they threw that out the window and said we're going in a completely different direction yeah well, well, well after after the prequels can you fucking blame him yeah he he had ron howard's ear Ron Howard, you know, really looks up to Lucas and they collaborate a lot on things. And Lucas was understandable, you know, in the daunting uh, epicness of taking on a Star Wars movie to Ron Howard. Look, you just got to you just got to go in there, 
tell the story. You know what makes the elements of a Star Wars story go. Put those in there and realize you're not going to please everybody. And at the same time, it's going to be okay. Just make it your movie too. And then the other thing that that he, um, I, I read this other little blurb where Lucas, he's on set for the first day at of shoot and he's just supposed to be there for a little bit and he ends up staying the entire day and uh he ends up kind of sort of saying well you know what if what if han you know i think han would do this and things like that ended up howard ended up going with that yeah okay so he he did have an ear with george lucas at least and george lucas and ron howard they have long history together uh ron howard and harrison ford have long history together what movie did they star in? American together? Graffiti. Damn. Come on. That's an easy one. I yes, know. it is. What character did, did uh, Harrison Ford play? He was a truck driver, wasn't he? Yeah, a cowboy hat he, on. He and... was the inspiration for the Fonz. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That I did not know. Yeah. Well, there you go. We're just zinging each other all across the table here. So Lawrence Kasdan, I thought, was going to really have a stronger story for Han in this movie and I didn't feel like he was represented. Han was represented as well as the Lando storyline, the Beckett storyline, uh, Kira's storyline. I, 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 I felt like that these other people are almost as important, if not almost even more significant than Han was in this story. It's because of the presence of the actor didn't command it. Now, if that was a young Harrison Ford, I feel like he would have that his presence would have demanded the attention. If that makes any sense at all, it does. The big part of Han Solo in all the other movies is that he's a smuggler and he's a scoundrel, and he's got swagger. And did you get that from the Solo movie? That no, he's gonna be he's a scoundrel, or he he's on his way to becoming a scoundrel. Like, he's so good with Princess Leia, you know, the whole, I love you, I know. That whole thing, and he doesn't feel like that character in this solo movie. And and what does he say when Lando says, I hate you? I know. There you go, little mm-hmm. callback. Yeah, they had a um, lot of those callbacks in this. Yeah. Like, he, he kissed Amelia Clark in the same room that he kissed Leia. On the Falcon. On the Falcon. When, when you know, the wardrobe... So he knows that. And Tobias comes to get him. Hey, uh, don't mean to break this up, but we got work to do. And so he kissed Princess Leia on the Falcon in that same room? Yeah, in one of the movies. According to the trivia, I didn't see them looking physically the same, but that's what the trivia reads. Well, he, for one, Han slides through some pipes to get to her. Yeah, and and Leia, she's working on a piece of equipment. You you know what they're saying? They're saying that after all the years and everything, that's the room, but it's deconstructed, which which is dumb. Which, yeah. Mm. Well, they don't have the capes in there anymore. On the planet Corellia, orphans Han and Kira escape a local gang. They bribe an Imperial officer with stolen starship fuel, known as coaxium, for passage on a transport. But Kira is captured before she can board. Han vows to return for her and joins the Imperial Navy as a flight cadet, being given the surname Solo. So the movie starts off in Han's hot wiring a car. And so the, he gets in the car. He, and now we're, we're into this little chase. Uh, what did you guys think of uh, his introduction? Did you notice that the vest he is wearing is the complete opposite color of the one he wears? in yeah, White vest, black shirt. So it's completely reversed. Can I just bring up real quick the fucking dice? Why do we need the dice? 
I don't know. That, and, they yeah. put that in as a connection to the other movies because it's on the Millennium Falcon in the other movies. So they wanted to have some callback. It, no, it's not. We've never seen him before. We never saw him until Luke gives him to Leia and the fucking oh. last Jedi. Thanks, Rain Johnson. Why are you changing shit up? Now they got to go back and explain it, which was dumb. Anyway, the fucking dice annoyed me. But it, I, I kind of like the opening narrative where it tells us that, you know, they live on the streets of Corellia and now the, the kids are being used for criminal activity. And so we when we meet Han, clearly he's been part of this criminal activity for, I don't know, probably a couple years or maybe since he was younger than what he is. Now, how old do you think he is in this film? I'd say he's around 18, 17, 18. That's did, what I think. Didn't they, just to go back real quick, did you catch how this is one of the first movies, I think, the Star Wars movies, that starts on a planet and not out in space? But they kind of connected it to the movies by having that overhead shot of the Star Destroyer. Oh, you mean when he looks up? When he looks up and he sees it, because that's where they build all the ships, right, is on Corellia. Right, right. And so instead of starting in space, he's looking up and seeing the ship in space. And I didn't even notice, and which is funny that you say that, because when I'll go watch a Star Wars movie, any of the nine that are, have been out, I always think that when they very first start. I wonder if they're going to start in space. Yeah, Good catch. So what did you think of uh him being part of this this uh street gang these these little thugs does that surprise you that he's going to turn out to be a smuggler and no because we we get the hint from our introductions and new hope and all that he's had a hard life Mm -hmm. he's uh, something put him into this criminal underground whatever and i guess the way it's set up is that all these orphans who are living on the street are brought into the criminal element of yeah. uh, whatever that big shrimp's name is, Proxima? Proxima, yeah. yeah Proxima l- something. Lady Proxima, yeah. voiced by Linda Hunt. Which you got to wonder how she got into such big power when, one, she has to stay in a pool, and two, she can't go out in the light. But now she's a boss of a whole criminal organization. She's a, you're only as strong as your muscle. So I bet you the, her her how, muscle guys are... And how, well, why do they obey her? I don't know, because that's same the way Kasdan wrote it, sir. Same thing could be said for Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, but he gets around. Does he? Uh, does, does he? he? And, and the huts kind of have power all over the place. Well, yeah. So Once again, she. it's the muscle. Yeah. Yeah. I loved when he was talking to Proxima and he pulls out the thermo detonator. detonator. Yeah. Call back again. Click, click. Yeah. I just saw you go click, click with your mouth. He just plays it off. And, and it's pretty funny. That, that was a cute callback. Uh, then they escape. A chase ensues. Uh, what you guys think of chase i actually this is one of the scenes i really like because it showed that he's not you know the han solo that we know yet he's not you know the wins every time kind of han solo when especially when he tries to go through that little tight area and he fails i love it and you know i'm gonna make it i'm gonna make it he didn't make it well that's well he it's because of that he's able to do it in empire strikes back when he's flying through the asteroid field yeah and i mean that scene happens throughout the whole series you know lando does it with the uh doesn't he do it with the 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 death star the millennium falcon the second time the death star is destroyed do they tell him he's not gonna fit well just the fact that he flies through a real tight yeah crevice kind of thing well we get that when they're also escaping the maw yeah yeah so, and yeah, the team and, and then it down works, on the asteroid. Right? And yeah. then it works. So yeah, I thought that was a funny bit. And this movie was kind of funny. It, it had its it had its moments. I think a lot of the the fun moments for me in this film is when they do the when they do, do the callbacks. 
uh, when they do try and which which led me to believe that their heart was in the right place mm-hmm. right so because they're putting so much in for fans right so they escape uh han and kira escape proxima they're trying to get out uh, off of Corellia. they're almost there they trade the they're going to trade the coaxium the unobtainium the vibranium <laughs> no i think it's just what's it called coaxium coaxium you had it right fucking killing me uh they trade it for transport and you know all of this is kira's fault because she waits so long to put it in the tray when the imperial officer is like all right give it to me and han's like do it do it she doesn't do it and finally she does it uh, as the door opens and they walk through han gets through kira doesn't it's kira's fault i don't disagree with any of that i just like how he you know went off to fight you know as a cadet in three years didn't get any contact to her, didn't write her a letter, didn't didn't try to have send someone out to find her. No, just three years. I'm going to come find her after three years. She'd be dead in like a week. Probably. Uh, I think one of my favorite moments is when he says, uh, when he's enlisting to be a Imperial pilot. The guy's like, what's your name? And he says, Han. He says, what's your family name? And he says, I don't have any. And he goes, and you can see him thinking, like, what am I going to say? And the Imperial officer comes up with, solo. Yeah. He could have chosen other things like nobody. Well, in a time like that, I'm surprised he didn't get something more like Qui-Gon or Soku or crazy names. Skywalker. Skywalker. Or was it the, what was the original name for? Starkiller. Starkiller. That would have yeah. been great. Oh, that would have been a nice They should have said, let's see, Starkiller or Solo. Which one do you want? I'll take Solo. Three years later, Han is serving as an infantryman on Mimban following his expulsion from the Imperial Flight Academy for insubordination. He encounters a group of criminals posing as Imperial soldiers. Led by Tobias Beckett, Han attempts to blackmail Beckett into letting him join the gang, but Beckett has him arrested and thrown into a pit to be fed to a Wookiee prisoner named Chewbacca. Able to understand Chewbacca's language, Han persuades him to cooperate to escape. Beckett Aware of the usefulness of the Wookiee's strength, rescues and enlists them in the gang to steal a shipment of coaxium on Vander 1. The plan fails when the Cloud Raiders, a band of marauders led by Enfys Nest, arrive to hijack the shipment. The resulting chaos leads to the destruction of the coaxium and the death of Beckett's wife, Val, and another crewman, Rio. What do you think of Rio? Oh, I thought he was hilarious. Yeah, I really like that character. That was played by... Uh... John Favreau. John Favreau. Got killed off a little too quick, but, I mean, mm-hmm. the whole point is to make Han a pilot, so mm-hmm. got to kill the pilot. Yeah, got to get him out of the pilot's chair. Uh, you know, I thought it was, I thought that train scene was pretty incredible, the way the train would rotate and how they'd have to. Here's my question. You're planning this big train heist and everything, and one of the things we see earlier on is that the guards on the train all have those magnetic boots why wouldn't they have brought their own magnetic boots? That is a good question. I was thinking the same thing. As you I think saw that would be in part of the planning? The yeah. No, they don't. They don't. So, of course, you know, they're going through their heist, trying to get the coaxium. Uh, you got Rio and the ship. Han and Chewie are disconnecting the couplers of the train and separating them. And then you have these guys show up. And... They start to, they want to steal the, Effie's the nest and fees nest. They want to steal the payload. Uh, and then they, of course, when things go wrong, 
everything goes wrong and they get alerted by the probe droids and now Val has to start shooting them. What kind of sucked and what didn't really make any sense to me is what is that Val dies for nothing. Yeah, they didn't get it. They didn't get the shipment at all and she sacrificed her life. So basically they got away, but they didn't get anything. And then did you notice how quickly Beckett got over it? Oh, maybe he was used to it. That's got to be a hard life. Man. He, he loses his pilot and his wife. And it's like, eh, okay. But you gain Han Solo and a Wookiee. Well, let's go back to Han Solo and Wookiee. What do you think of their meeting? You know, we've heard stories for a long time why, you know, Chewbacca has this life debt and why he stays with Han Solo. Did th- it live up to the hype? I, I thought that when, I thought it was, the way they met was perfect. And that uh, there was another one of those moments, probably one of my favorite moments of the film uh, is when they meet because again, their heart, the writer's heart was in the right place and the way it all happened and Han being Han and Chewie's about to kill him. And then Han speaks his language and he's like, Oh yeah, I speak a little. And he's just kind of nonchalant about it. Like everyone should speak Wookiee. Right. And then they figure out how to escape. They escape. And I love uh, after they open the door or the lid falls in, you see Han being thrown out of the fucking pit because Chewie just threw him out of there. I just thought that was funny. An interesting point, and I read this somewhere about like original plans for the script, original things that they notes that they had made. The orphans on Corellia used to play a lot of sabak, and so that's where Hans supposedly learned to play sabak. He also befriended some Wookiee on Corellia and learned a little bit of Wookiee. So that's little things that they didn't include, but you kind of you kind of can get that from yeah, your, I you know his life. Um, I don't care why he knows how to speak Wookiee. I think it's cool that he knows how to speak Wookiee. Wasn't it the first, isn't it the first time any other character in any of the movies actually have spoken a little Wookiee? Yeah. Did, uh, did Chewbacca understand the Ewoks? I don't think so. No, I think it was only C-3PO that could speak to them. Yeah. Right. So yeah, now they've met and they stole away. What did you think of their meeting? I really loved that scene with them getting together and, this is where they meet. This is what bonds them together, at least initially. And when we see them and we get the subtitles, oh, we get some subtitles, and but then we don't get subtitles anymore. So we get subtitles for some of the movie, just not for the rest of the movie. <sighs> okay, that's okay. But I have to say, I do like it better without the subtitles, only because it's fun to listen to them as they answer Chewbacca and they listen to Chewbacca and look at his body language and the way that he's answering to them as well. Right. Can you imagine if we had, you know, the original Star Wars movies with C-3PO and R2-D2 and them giving us subtitles every time R2-D2 beeps and boops? No, that would suck. I know. That's why I, it's, I agree with Ken. The subtitles aren't needed. I think that they play off each other well enough that we get what's happening mm-hmm. now i have to say i prefer this meeting to one of the original planned ways that they were going to introduce these two characters and their life bond did you read about that one no the original plan was that han spent time on the wookie planet Kashik. Kashik. oh yeah and that. that chewbacca helped raise him when he was like eight years old oh so they decided not to go with the mowgli story yeah basically precisely yeah, well, that's so, good. I, I'm glad they kind of went this way. I don't know if, to me if it lived up to the hype, but it was it was entertaining. 
Um, as far as living up to the hype in those moments that were created in the original trilogy that we got to go back and see uh, later on in life, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin meeting for the first time, I thought Han and Chewie was better. Uh, we got to see uh, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin fight that we'd always wanted to see. Um, I thought it was better than Han and Chewie meeting. But mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there's there's those moments that they're trying to give back to us or, or mm-hmm. let us see what happens. And as far as those moments, this is um, I, I do like this one a lot. Yeah. So, I didn't think it was bad at all. So the, uh, the, the train heist does let us see Han and Chewie uh, bonding stronger. It, it's during the sequence of the, um, you know, as they're working together that uh, Han and Chewie are consciously looking out and helping each other specifically that we get to see their bond f- become stronger. And so I did like that about the train heist. My thought about the train heist in general, though, was why the train? Well, why not just fly it? Everything else is flown. Why do we have the train? And so I went back and forth and back and forth. Why is there a train? Why don't they just fly the coaxium? And then I finally decided inside my head that, you know what? Maybe it has to do with the, uh, the alliance that has been put together for the coaxium to be mined and sold, that the transportation of the coaxium has to be used via the train transport because it supports the local economy. And so the local economy has the train. It supports indigenous people instead of just flying it straight off the planet. My initial thought was similar to the professor's. When I saw the train, I thought, oh, look, a train. So I I felt similarly, Val, she left too soon. It was disappointing to have her leave so soon. But, you know, I I, I get it. Whose death, you know, hurt you more, Val or Rio? Uh, neither of them. Yeah. I would have liked to see more out of Rio. Yeah. Um, I Val, I could have done with or without. She didn't really add anything to the story except for the, you know, the love interest for Beckett. All right. So since we're here, what character did you enjoy in Solo? As a, what, character? the most? I, I know what character means. Yeah. Which one yeah. did I enjoy the most? Lando. John? Beckett. I am torn between Beckett and Lando. I thought that both of those characters really shone in the movie. And that and those two characters shining the way that they did, looking at Lando being so sly and so charming and and his uh his sophistication. And then Beckett teaching Han, this is how you be a scoundrel. Beckett is the ultimate scoundrel that is the model for Han. And the blending of Han and Beckett is, you know, that's the Han we have today. Too bad that those two characters outshone Han in the movie. That's, yeah. I, I agree with you, Professor. That's why I picked Beckett as well, is because Beckett was the model for what Han's or Han becomes in that he's the gunslinger. He's the scoundrel. He teaches him not to trust anyone. Um, but he trusts Chewie. Yeah. But he, he sets up that whole person. That's why Han is a better character than Beckett. I like Beckett better, but I'm just saying in this movie, Han is a better person. He survives longer because he's got Chewie because he did trust one person, you know, but 
Beckett, on the other hand, you know, let his people go, didn't have anybody watching his back. That's why he gets what he gets in the end. Well, also because Han shot first. Well, of course. And that, where did he learn that? From Beckett. From Beckett. Beckett taught him that. Yeah. No, I mean, Beckett was a fine character and he was the mentor. Um, I think the kid that was playing Han just didn't command what we know as Han Solo's character should be commanding. Now, that being said, I don't think he was supposed to because this is Han coming up, right? He's got to learn it from somewhere. So he's going to be, he's going to be naive. He's going to be happy go lucky. Mm -hmm. He, I didn't, I never once thought we were going to get the jaded Han we got in a new hope at the end of this film. The way that I look at it is look at a new hope and how Luke was. He was just this whiny kid. Oh yeah. Who was new to everything. And he's not the same character as we had in return of the Jedi. You know, right. he's not the same Luke. So that's how I feel about this Han Solo versus a new hopes Han Solo. Not the same person. He hasn't gone through everything that Han went through with Beckett and Kira and everybody else. And also whatever happens with him and Jabba. Beckett reveals that he was ordered to steal the shipment for Drayden Voss, a high ranking crime boss in the Crimson Dawn Syndicate. Han and Chewie volunteer to help him steal another shipment to repay the debt so that Voss will not kill him. They travel to Voss's yacht where Han finds Kira, who has joined Crimson Dawn as Voss's top lieutenant. Han suggests a risky plan to steal unrefined coaxium from the mines on Kessel. Voss approves but insists that Kira accompanies the team. She leads them to Lando Calrissian, a smuggler and pilot, who she hopes will lend them his ship the Millennium Falcon. Han challenges Lando to a game of Sabacc, with the wager being Lando's ship. Lando cheats to win, but agrees to join the mission in exchange for a share of the profits. So what did you think of Lando's introduction? Oh, it was great. Everything with Lando was great. Yep. And Donald Glover playing Lando? Couldn't have casted any better. Yeah, he did that very, very well. That's why he's my favorite character in this movie. His mannerisms were like Billy D. The way he, um, the way he looked, was just like Billy D. I mean, I could totally see that was Lando Calrissian, and Donald Glover is a fantastic actor. He's a fantastic all-around performer. Yeah, easily my favorite character. What'd you think of Drayden Voss? I'm kind of getting tired of Peter Bentney. Wasn't there another actor that originally filmed all those scenes? From what I read. And then that actor couldn't come back for reshoots. Michael Kenneth Williams. So they had to replace him with Paul. Anybody familiar with Michael Kenneth Williams? Hang on. Hang on. Sounds familiar. No, I don't. Well, I only know him from one thing. He was in the television HBO police series called The Wire. And his character in The Wire, he plays Omar. Oh my fucking God. He is such a badass in that movie. He is a delightful character. Anytime he's on the screen, it's like, oh, what's going to happen now? He is awesome in that television series. <laughs> Omar, now I know who you're talking about. That would have been good for Drayden Voss. I, I could have I seen that. I feel like the professor's got a little crush going there. Well, if you watch The Wire and you get to see Omar. Okay, so... Yeah, uh, Dryden Voss, he did not convey sinisterism the way Grand Moff Tarkin did in Star Wars, the way Darth Vader did throughout. We do not have 
a feeling of sinisterness, or mm-hmm. I never got it out of him. Who is the baddie in Rogue One? Uh, uh, Commander Krennic and uh, Tarkin. Krennic. Well, I well I know Tarkin because he right. Well, I was talking about Krennic. Yeah, Commander um, Krennic. I really enjoyed Krennic because I like that actor. He kind of plays a real douchebag, really good. Totally. Paul Bettany's character to me was very uh, gangstery, whereas Tarkin is more military. So that would be that would be a difference. Uh, Bettany had an evil streak to him, and I think that it w- he was trying to be unpredictable and maybe not sinister, but he definitely mm-hmm. rang out bad guy. That's what I was going to say. He didn't emanate a sinister vibe to me. He just seemed like a guy who was just doing his job. I can appreciate us having an ultimate bad guy, and he, Crimson Dawn, we've never heard of it. At least I had never heard of it. I don't know if it's in it, one of the TV shows it's or been whatever. It's the, the animated shows and the books for a while. Okay. So, but it's safe to assume that it's mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a, a crime syndicate. Mm-hmm. So a lot like what Java is. Java's a gangster, right? So you you have that criminal side of this universe that we don't really get to see too much because we're always focused on the military aspect of it with the with the empire and the first order right that's all military based so i think that they were going for something completely different on this side with the gangsters and that's why i think his character was a little bit over the top Uh, not sinister maybe psychopathic they were trying to push into the star wars universe the idea that there are five crime syndicates uh there's the hut and then there's the crimson dawn and i don't know the other three off top of my head but that was the idea is that not only are they fighting the empire and you have everything else going on, but you also have all these crime syndicates. And, sure. And some of them are working with the Empire. Like Crimson Dawn is working with the Empire. Right. right. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't give us what we need, which we got in the other stories, that there is a lot more at stake. It's not necessarily conveyed all that well that Han has a lot to lose until he decides to go in with Beckett. And even then, it's only secondary. And Han, he's ready to walk away. So, you know, what does he care? There's nothing at stake for him. Yeah. This was a typical paint-by-numbers storyline. And it really was only there to introduce us to Han and Chewie and Lando. Well, I got the feeling that this movie was made so that all those stories that they told in the other movies uh, and the books and all that... We could actually finally see, and they fit them all in. We got the Lando and Han meeting. We got the Chewie and Han meeting. We got the Kessel run. That's a fair point. The introduction of the Millennium Falcon, how we got the money. It was just all these little things they tried to fit all into one movie. Yeah, Han getting his blaster. Yeah. Yeah, he gets it from Beckett, so it's just, which it, makes sense. It's all squeezed into just a you know a three-year time period. All right, so let's talk about the most important character in the entire Star Wars universe, bar none. The Millennium, the Millennium Falcon. Falcon. What did you guys think of it when you first saw it? Fucking in love with it. Oh my gosh. You know, when it is a wet dream, it is so fantastic to look at any crevice, what they did, and giving us those extra rooms and revisiting the, uh, you know, the chessboard and looking at the illumination of the cockpit. They, oh, the best and every once in a while they would give you the john williams star wars theme very ever so lightly it was so sparingly done right and so yeah man 
The fucking Millennium Falcon. Are you fucking kidding me? Absolutely. If I could own one spaceship ever, it would be the Millennium Falcon. Hands down. With Serenity being a close second. That being said, you're right. When they walk through it and you can see how pristine and clean it is. Because we've only seen it. This thing's a piece of junk. Well, one of the funny things I read about is when Beckett plays Chewbacca the chess game. Mm -hmm. And Chewbacca gets mad and hits the board. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you know that they on that chessboard there were two extra pieces that you hadn't seen before? And when Chewbacca hit it, he broke those buttons, and that's why you don't see them in the later movie? Uh, well, that's a cute piece of trivia. They added and, that on purpose because Chewbacca broke the board, and then they never fixed it. And that's awesome, and that goes back to the filmmakers paint or giving stuff to the fans, right? Mm-hmm. But I would have never noticed that. Now, Me neither. I seem to recall, I think, when we saw this movie together, um originally were you not a big fan of the escape pod up front i was not i thought it looked weird because i'm so used to looking at the millennium falcon without the escape pod and maybe that's what it is because when they turn on the the engines and you hear that hum of the falcon's engine and when it takes off and it kind of takes you back to you know the first time you heard it or what i thought was when i first saw it that because it had a boot on it and they couldn't take off. <laughs> I thought it wasn't Lando's ship. I thought it was somebody else's ship that they stole. And it wasn't until they go into the closet of capes that I went, oh, maybe it is Lando's ship. Right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. Did you get the Kara, the cape she tried on? That's the one from Empire, Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and one he's so is Woody's outfit when they get to Kessel. Yeah, the helmet. And so they, they actually wrote that in to explain why Lando used that helmet was because it was left on the the Millennium Falcon. Here's the thing. I don't need any explanation. I like when things connect up. That's a little bit too much. That's a little bit going over the gives, top. Who gives a fuck? He was on Tatooine. He went to the, mm-hmm. he went and saw Otto, who's still alive, and he bought the helmet. Who fucking cares? Mm-hmm. But, you know, people... Otto or so, Watto? What'd you say? Oh, I said Otto, but you're right. It yeah. is Watto. So. Like, who, the, who the hell is Otto from I, Simpsons? I, frankly, I don't care who it is, but the point is, you know, you need a story to be driven along. Mm-hmm. Now, what they did for the Millennium Falcon, showing it as lovingly as they did, and I just, you know, man, I was ready to lick the screen. I loved every last little ounce of it. You're, you're getting a little wild there, Professor. I totally loved Have, any moment that they were showing the ship. Well, let and me ask you this, Professor. It was so clean and, and white and pristine. That's so the, the point that I'm trying to get at is that as beautiful as this is, I feel like it's a little bit like the movie Titanic. The backdrop of the story is almost more important than the actual story that is conveyed here. Titanic, it is an epic backdrop of this uh, ocean liner that famously sinks, killing all these people. And the backdrop of Solo, a Star Wars story, is all about these little bits and tidbits and pieces and looking at other things. But what actually happens story-wise isn't all that strong. And I didn't expect it to be. Well, because of that, I felt it was a little lackluster, mostly because I wanted Han to be more Han, and he wasn't Han enough for me. Lando was, and, and Beckett, what, what a gem. And I enjoyed seeing Kira turn into, you know, whatever her little sinister world that she decided to dive headfirst into. I, I kind of sort of like that at the end because we never see her again in the Star Wars universe, so she has to dive into that. 
And so I enjoyed seeing those aspects of it. But Han, I felt like just, he was kind of along for the ride. And he, I, I felt like he never really blossomed into the role. And I think it's probably coming back to what you said first at the beginning. The actor didn't fill the boots. I have a theory I want to throw out there of when the bond between Han and Kira ended. When Han gets to the shipyard and the boots on the Millennium Falcon, did you real like did you see that look? They they paused and had Hans look at the Millennium Falcon like all of a sudden he had discovered real love. Did you do you see that longingly look that he had? Yeah. So I feel like right there he was more in love with the Millennium Falcon and less with Kira. Probably, but Kira wasn't in love with him, and that stopped as soon as the doors closed. The gate closed the on beginning. her. Yeah, I almost feel and like they were separated. In the end, Kira did what she did because she knew the Crimson Dawn would come after Han, so she left to sacrifice again for him. Maybe I didn't think of it that way. I thought of it as, like you said, we'll never see this character again in the Star Wars universe. So, fuck off. But if they make another solo movie, you know she's coming back. Well, of course she is. She's a mother of dragons. Yeah. Once upon a time in Mexico. Now, fuck off. After reaching Kessel in the Falcon and infiltrating the mind, Lando's droid co-pilot L337 instigates a slave revolt. They steal the coaxium in the confusion, but L3 is fatally damaged and Lando is wounded during the escape. With the help of L3's navigational computer uploaded into the ship's system, Han pilots the ship through the dangerous and uncharted Kessel Run to elude the Imperial blockade. The Falcon, badly damaged, lands on the planet Savine to process the coaxium. Enfys arrives, having tracked them from Vandor, and Lando leaves in the Falcon, deserting everyone else. Enfy reveals that she and her crew are rebels trying to strike back at the Syndicate and the Empire. Han becomes sympathetic to the cause and tries to trick Voss, who reveals Beckett has already alerted him to the Double Cross. Voss sends his guards to kill Enfys, but the Cloud Raiders overpower them, leaving Voss defenseless. Having anticipated Voss's strategy, Han tries to take the Coaxium, but Beckett betrays Voss and escapes with it, taking Chewbacca hostage. Kira kills Voss and sends Han after Beckett. She contacts Voss's superior, force wielder Maul, to inform him of the mission's failure, which she blames on Beckett. Maul orders Kira to meet with him on Dathmir. Han confronts Beckett and shoots him before he can return fire. Kira leaves in Voss's yacht, while Han and Chewie give the coaxium to Enfi, who offers Han a chance to join the rebellion against the Empire. He declines, and she gives him a vial of coaxium, enough to purchase his own ship l337 i really enjoyed the uh the sardonic (laughs) and somber you know liberating talk that that character constantly gave she was a delight so much different than c-3po and even more different than the the one from rogue one rogue one k2so i enjoyed k2so's a sense of dry humor that right. he had. Yeah. Did, he, he was good. Did you hear about the actress and how she got that part? Nope. Uh, Phoebe basically oh, yeah. had never seen a Star Wars movie before Before when she went in to do her, uh, to try out for the part. And she, she didn't even know what a droid was. Didn't know what a droid is. So she read it like a regular person. And then they asked her, you know, to do it kind of like a robot. 
So she tried again as a robot, and they realized she was much better as a regular person. And so they actually changed the character to match the way she tried out for it. That it was so awesome. Uh, one of my favorite bits is uh, when L three and Kira are sitting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, and she's telling Kira, "You love that boy. I can see it." Or he loves, he loves you. you, right? He loves you, you, and you and you don't know what to do. That's what she says. And then she says, "It's kind of the same for me and Lando." And then Kira <laughs> stops and goes what you're a fucking droid right that's what her voice is saying and then i love the bit where kira says how would that even work and then l3 just so matter of fact and so a hundred percent in her response it just works it works it works <laughs> that was a great bit now so, i'm gone professor the name the name Leet. so uh it's short for elite and then they ended up uh changing the you know uh the, the abbreviation, it, it you know, you replace it with numbers and symbols. So LEET turns into L337. And that's why you were the professor. Yeah. I was going to say the interesting thing about the download into the Millennium Falcon and how it changes the Millennium Falcon. I guess in the original radio drama of Star Wars, uh, C-3PO has a line when he first interfaces with the Millennium Falcon saying, well, the Millennium Falcon has a rude personality. Oh, yeah, I can see that. And later on, I guess I didn't see it, but I just read about this, is that when the download is complete, I guess that's when the Millennium Falcon starts making its classic beeps and boops noises that it made in the other movies. It didn't make the normal Millennium Falcon noises before that moment. Huh, I never I So never I'm going to have to go back that. and watch that. Yeah. Mm. Um, I always go back to uh, Empire when they're inside the worm and Han tells Chewie, no offense, buddy. Take the professor in the back and plug him into the hyperdrive. So he's, he wants to talk to the Falcon, right? And so now when we when I saw this and the ship gets down, I go, oh, C-3PO is talking to L3. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. cute. Uh, so let's talk about this uh, master plan. They're going to they're gonna land. They're going to go straight to the source of the coaxium. They infiltrate it. Uh, classic same move that Luke pulls. You know, making Han and Chewie, or making Chewie the prisoner, right? right? But this time it's Han and Chewie, so maybe that's why when Han says, relax, Chewie, I think I know what he has in mind, because they've already been through it. So anyways, uh, what'd you think of... Is this where Han says, I've got a good feeling about this? No, that's after they leave. Yeah, because he's flying. He's yeah, piloting. that's after they leave. Right. Um, so they're into the mines, They they get through... Beckett is wearing Lando's gear from Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chewie hears his family or his tribe. And he tells Han, I got to go. Right. And Han, being Han, doesn't stand in his way, supports him 100%, has his back. And then I love what he says. He looks at Chewie and he says, I hope to see you around sometime. And then he takes off. Right. Of course, we know as the audience, mm-hmm. uh, but I thought that was kind of a cute moment. And so Han had to load up all 11 of those uh, canisters. canisters by himself. And Kira, and, and he didn't, and, and he was n- no grudges at all. Where, where's Chewbacca, right? No, no, no grudge whatsoever. He, he had some, he, what did he say? He has something to do or something better to do or it, it wasn't he had like something a, to take care of her. Yeah. But, but there was, there was no disdain in his voice about right, it. Right. Absolutely. And so they're, they're going, they're, uh, L3 at the same time this is all going on uh, leads a, 
a rebellion, a rebellion of I, the droids, which is an ultimate distraction. I thought that was hilarious. Off, yeah, and then she turns off the slave uh, the collars or whatever. Yeah, the, and yeah, it, it was a brilliant distraction. So it all kind of worked out. And just when Han's about to get caught with all this coaxium, who saves the day? that's who saves the day so again it goes to their bond and it goes to their friendship and then chewbacca gets all the other chewbacca's and they push the coaxium to the falcon Mm -hmm. and then they they give each other a pound when i first when i first saw those other wookies i thought they look more like bigfoots than they do Wookiees. oh yeah sasquatch but then i read the reason why they looked like that is because they were emancipated (laughs) they had been in the slave mines and they wanted them to look like they were losing their fur. So that's why that, that one, his like whole face is uncovered. I and, thought of uh, Planet enslaved. of the Apes. I know. It just, they look so weird to me. They didn't look like you expect all the Wookiees, like in right. you know, the original when Yoda's on the, you know, the planet. Because they're yeah. slaves. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. That makes, I rolled my eyes as soon as you said that. But no, that does make sense. Yeah, I, so I apologize. So take it back. I did. I just fucking took it back. Uh, so they get everything loaded up onto the Falcon L3. Unfortunately, this is where she gets shot. And Lando, proving that love, runs after her to get her. And then he gets shot, which is, you know, someone's got to fly the Falcon. So Han gets in. But he, he Lando has to give him his permission first. You notice that? Mm-hmm. They look at each other and Lando just goes, okay. And so Han, this is it, right? This is where... This is where the magic happens. Well, this is where that line came comes in that you first said at the beginning of the show. Oh, right. Because they take off, they're flying, and Kira is the co-pilot at first. And then uh, Lando comes in and says, you got to do this, this, and this. And uh, Kira goes, you're right. And she doesn't know what to do. And then Chewie just reaches over and starts doing the buttons, and she's all, by all means. And there we have it. And yeah. this leads us to the most fabled tale in Star Wars history, the legend of the Kessel Run. What do you think of this sequence? So you have the Acadia Malstrom Nebula, where I am very, very curious, what is the Kessel Run all about? And this was probably the most anticipated moment that I had for the movie that I'm going to see just what the heck this is all about. And I have to say, that I was grossly uh, uninformed. I had no idea. I thought it was all about time. It was about being fast in time, and it wasn't about mm-hmm. being fast in time. Were you aware of this, Don? Yeah, parsec is not time. It's distance. Yeah. I, I was unaware of that. Uh, where did I see that? That's actually in something, in a show or something. They they argue about the Kessel Run. Was it Fanboys? Did you ever see Fanboys? I did uh anyways but yeah no that's what kind of told me it was it was a distance yep distance. and so instead of taking over 20 parsecs he took a shortcut that only took him 13 but he rounded down yeah i love that yeah he yeah goes, we just yeah. made the kessel run in 12 parsecs and chewy does the <laughs> i round down buddy <laughs> that's a great moment yeah so it's like oh and did you know no i did not whilst flying through uh making the kessel run the song that plays ever so lightly is the same tune that is playing during the asteroid chase in empire strikes back i don't think i caught that i will remember later in the movie that there is more sprinkling of 
uh, Star Wars music from the original trilogy. And we'll, call so, it, we'll call it John Williams music. There you go. And, and I, I, it was sadly devoid in the whole first half of the movie. Oh, yeah. But uh, having it later in there, so I'm not a bit surprised by that because the, the sprinkling that happened definitely happened in the second half of the movie, so I can totally see that. And I can see uh, where Ron Howard wanted to pay homage to it because the, the Falcon dips and, 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 and accelerates right at the musical cue that it does in the asteroid scene. And the asteroid scene in Empire Strikes Back is probably top five favorite scenes of all time is a discussion we can have later. But... Uh, that's why I know it so well, because I grew up watching that scene over and over and over again. And it all starts when Han goes, because the Falcon's not working. He says, well, we can still outmaneuver him. And from that moment, it's just ugh, so brilliant. So when they paid homage to it in Solo, again, I was like, oh, wow, their hearts are really in the right place. So yeah, they make the Kessel Run. They crash land. Oh, and this is where uh, right before they jump, he launches the... The escape mm-hmm. pod, and now we get to see the Falcon as we know yeah. it, and we get to see how it kind of gets crunched in the back because it's getting sucked into that black hole or whatever. And the uh, maw, the maw, and uh, this scene was very reminiscent to uh, one of the Star Treks. I think it was the first one, the the newer one, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, the Romulans are making that black hole, and he they got to punch it out, so they give it an extra kick of something. Star Trek Into Darkness. No, that's the first one. But I'm talking about the first one. Into Darkness is the second one. Is it the... I think it's the what we're talking about. I thought it was Into Darkness, but maybe it's not. No, Into Darkness is with Khan. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I believe it's the first one. Anyway, um, they, they do the whole coaxium bit. They inject it, and then it gives them the kick, and then they fly out of there. But yeah, they uh, got rid of the escape pod, and... Did you that's my catch... Did you catch the salute to a Ron Zemeckis movie during that scene? Robert Zemeckis? Robert Zemeckis, I mean. Was it a Back to the Future reference? It was a Back to the Future reference. When they take off? No. Is, is there flames that go behind it? When Hans is flying you know, through there, and he's trying to get rid of the uh, TIE fighters that are following him. Mm-hmm. And remember, he does that slide on mm-hmm. the ground with landing gear and everything. Mm-hmm. What does he say at that point? Where did he learn that move from? Marty McFly? I don't know. He said he learned it from Needles, who was a street racer. Oh, yeah. Needles was Flea's character. Needles was yeah. a street racer in Back to the Future. Yeah, I wouldn't call him a street racer. I'd call him more of a punk. But I, I get that. Needles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And he breaks Lando's ship. He breaks mm-hmm. <laughs> the landing gear. <laughs> so they escape, and they land on this planet. What's it called? Uh, anyways they land on this planet and they have to get this coaxium refined before it blows up the world so han chewy and beckett and kira kira uh get off the falcon and they go to get this stuff refined and then lando fucking takes off leaves them well, he leaves. Bandits him. He leaves when Effie's group shows up and points all the guns at him. And I love how Hans is like, "That's a big mistake. We got like thirty guys back up on that <laughs> ship." Bullshit so, his way out of it. And yeah. all of a sudden, Lando just flies the ship away. Yeah. And then do you <laughs> see the look Beckett gives him? He's like, "You fucking idiot!" And I love Hans turns around and goes, "It's all yours." Yeah. yeah. yeah he steps <laughs> in behind him again. Okay. Back to you. Yeah. Uh, his outfit in this is very reminiscent to his Empire outfit, the mm-hmm. blue jacket. And so mm-hmm. you could see in the uh, in the costume design that they were 
or in wardrobe, they were trying to pay homage and pay the fans lip service. So yeah, this, uh, and at this point also Beckett leaves, he takes off. He, he thinks he's done. He's going to go learn the harpsichord or whatever the fuck he was going to learn. And he leaves at this moment. He's a gambler. He knows when his, you know, when he's got a bad hand, he has to walk away from the table. Right. And so that leaves Han to deal with Drayden Voss and the Raider, the Marauders who have now kind of told them their cause and it's kind of swaying Han, you know, just like he does what, 10 years later in a new hope all about the money, but then turns around to be, you know, that guy. So I thought that it was the story overall was a very paint by numbers is kind of what we were talking about. Not mm-hmm. a lot of substance. Right. So you knew something was something had to uh, happen and Beckett wasn't gone. We, we knew that uh, for a fact. So, they get to Drayden. They bring the two suitcases, pull it out. He wants to inspect. It's just like a drug deal. So it means very gangstery. And uh, Drayden's like, oh, you almost fooled me. This looks almost like the real stuff. And so he says, you know, you double cross me. You are going to give my coaxium to the, the, the rebellion, the envy and the rebellion. And nope, it's a double, double cross. Uh, the, People on the planet don't have the coaxium. That was actually the real coaxium. But they, but the point was to get rid of all of Drayden's muscle. And that's what we had talked about, right? You're only as strong as your muscle. And so they get rid of the muscle on the planet. Now it's just Drayden and Han and Kira. And watching it last night, I kept thinking to myself, why is it so hard for Han to pick up his fucking gun and shoot this motherfucker? There were a couple of times he could have shot him, but he doesn't. And I get it. Yeah, he continues to stay down and hidden. Right. Yeah, you got a blaster, man. Right. And so Kira comes in like a badass. Or did, did they take his blaster when he first boarded the yacht? No, he put it under the, he was under it, the it lid. He was under the lid. Oh, okay. Yeah. We find out that Beckett double crosses him, mm-hmm. which you had to see coming a mile away. He, it was either going to be one of two things. Either Beckett was going to show up at the end to save him, or Beckett was going to double cross him. And... Being a scoundrel and expecting that, you know, he's just out to, you know, solve his debts and everything. You saw the double cross coming or the triple cross or whatever it is. And so Beckett kidnaps Chewie, takes the real coaxium, attempts to leave. Then Kira kills Drayden Voss, tells Han, you know, go get Chewie because he needs you. And you need him more than you think you do. Because she was sending him on his way because she knew what she was going to do. She knew she was going to try and spare Han's life or whatever. And maybe at some point she becomes the biggest gangster of Crimson Dawn ever. Who knows? Who cares? Point is, Han goes after Chewie, uh, finds him and Beckett. And then uh, you had mentioned this earlier, Ken. There's that little standoff. And mid-sentence of Beckett's speech, he gets shot. Why? Because Han shot first. I love Beckett's response to getting shot. Oh, yeah. He's he like, like, good move. Yeah, good move. Because he, he, he flat out tells him, I was going to kill you. So mm-hmm. smart move, kid. I'm feeling sorry for Chewbacca. He's thinking, now I got to lug these suitcases all the way back. <laughs> I, I had to carry them out to the ship, and now I'm carrying them out to the cliff, and now I got to carry them back again. I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm thinking, poor Chewie. But he's a stud. At 190 yeah. years old. Yeah. And so he goes back and gives the coaxium to the, to the, the Raiders. Rebellion, yep. And mm-hmm. she asks him to join. And I think it's at this point he becomes the Han Solo that we know. 
because he knew Kira wasn't coming back. He watched her leave. He knew it was, I mean, Beckett's gone. Uh, it's just him and Chewie. He's a scoundrel with a heart of gold. Totally, right? And she's all, join us. And he's like, he doesn't even say anything. I think he just shakes his head and turns away and, and walks away. I have to bring it up, Don. What? Your reaction when we first saw this movie to seeing Darth Maul, I think there was just pure hatred in your eyes <laughs> because you do not like it when they have supposedly killed the character off and he shows up again. They cut him in half. Obi-Wan cut him in fucking half. I don't care who the fuck you are. Maybe Wolverine, maybe Deadpool, but they cut you in half, you're fucking dead. Is he human? Who? Darth Maul. I don't give a fuck. He was cut in half. So he could have lived. Well, Grievous, General Grievous. Was all machine. He was a cyborg. He started out as a I, creature. I didn't know that. So therefore, he was always a machine. He was just like Darth Vader. He was just like all the other ones that are put into machine. How did Anakin survive being burned by lava, having all his limbs cut off? Not in half. You're you're, you're kind of missing the half point. Yeah. The the thing that they have brought up about all of the Star Wars movies and the Star Wars stories and everything, unless you see them die, like they physically die on screen, they will come back. Kind of like Boba Fett. Boba Fett comes back. Oh my God, you guys just want to continually kick you in the balls. Kick me in the balls. Why? Fuck that guy. Fuck you and fuck you. (laughs) So Darth Maul, yes, he comes back as half machine. Oh, okay. That makes it so much better. Oh, I love Darth Maul. It's actually well explained, I believe, in Clone Wars. Yes, it is. It is specifically explained. And he has very much. A proper place at the end of solo he is where he should be yeah. at the end of solo awesome i'm not 12 years old i don't sit and watch cartoons so i don't give a fuck what well, the clone wars I, tell me he got cut in half in phantom menace he is fucking dead how did the emperor come back i know you oh, hate that dude, don't even oh my oh, god there you go yeah let's get into that one um uh my buddy and i at work uh are one of our faithful listeners we got into it the other morning too talking about the emperor fuck that guy i, I do love the fact that not only did they keep that, Ron Howard really wanted that, and they weren't originally planning on bringing Darth Maul back. He really wanted it so much that they kept it secret, and they snuck Ray Park into the studio to film that. That was fucking dumb. He he wasn't initially cast. They they initially had the actor that played Darth Maul, but instead, they they wanted they wanted specifically to have the voice talent from the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and so listening to him, it's like. It is Darth Maul. Oh my God! It is. Guys, no. <laughs> fucking give me a headache. Yeah, we should get into the Boba Fett thing again sometime. <clears throat> he got out of that pit. Han and Chewie locate Lando and challenge him to a rematch in Sabacc. Once again, wagering the Falcon. This time, Han wins in a fair game and having stolen the hidden card from Lando that he used to cheat his way to victory the first time. Han and Chewie then leave for Tatooine to find the crime lord mentioned by Beckett who is putting together a big, profitable job. End movie. This was a great scene because later on, when Lando and Han are arguing, you know, Lando makes some comment about, you know, you stole my ship from hey, me. Hey, I won that fair and square. Exactly. He brings up, he won it fair and square. And he says it in Solo, I won fair and square. Mm-hmm. And did you notice uh, when he comes 
totally. When he comes in, he's totally. all pissed off. And then he sees the card and then he grabs him and he hugs him like, oh, I was just fucking with you. Same way Lando did in Empire. That's exactly, exactly. right. Exactly. Yes. It's like, oh, I love that. Yeah. That was, again, that was one of those moments where their heart was in the right place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now we've got this Star Wars story. Did, what, what do you think makes a Star Wars story? Because there was just barely barely a, a lightsaber which you know you're you're kind of sort of used to in a star wars story also you there was no talk there was no nothing to do with jedi in this there wasn't in rogue one either but there was jedi talk in rogue one yeah, and one with the force and the force yes one with yes me. but the point is in in solo there was no jedi talk yeah and no c3po no r2d2 right so with that you know what what do you think makes a star wars story a star wars story is this a Star Wars story just because it's just sprinkled throughout with everything Han? That's what makes it a Star Wars story. Um, <laughs> I, I'm uh, just, the, I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, I, I, I get it. Uh, what makes this a Star Wars story is Han, Chewie, Lando, anyone that who we, anyone who we have been introduced to, and the most Star Wars. important character. If you say fucking Darth Maul, I will kick you out of my fucking house. No, I was going to say the Millennium, Millennium Falcon. Falcon. So close, dude. You got so close. You know, you know, we spent very little time addressing Chewie. What did you think of Chewie in this movie? Fantastic. Chewie's Chewie. Chewie's always Chewie. Yeah, and in fact, uh, the actor who played Chewie in this did uh, Peter Moguru. He wrote him a letter. Peter Mayhew. Mayhew, excuse me. Wrote him a letter, you know, saying what an honor it was to play this character, you know, that you brought to life. Um, I thought he did an honor. I mean, just, he did a fantastic. Oh, I mean, he was he, fine. Chewie was Chewie. Chewie can do no wrong in my book. I couldn't tell it was a new actor playing the character. Uh, his mannerisms and the way he moved, I could tell, because mm-hmm. he was more limber, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Peter Mayhew, was, mm-hmm. I mean, he died in 2019, I think, or 2019. So, I mean, he yeah. was up there even doing, I think he was like in one scene of Rise yeah. of Skywalker. I met and him. And then that kid had to take over. I met him at a conference. At, you know, I always bring up that Alamo Con that I went to. Yeah. He was there. And you could tell he was not doing well. He needed help getting up and down. He had to sit sure. the whole time. Um, mm. He, I was told... Well, the dude was fucking 12 feet tall. I was told that the whole reason why he was still even doing the comic book conventions and the pop conventions was just to get money for whatever next surgery he needed to have. Oh, I think I remember hearing a little of that. Yeah, yeah that's too bad. So it was, it was kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Chewie rocks. Chewie always rocks. Yeah. I, and you know who else rocks? Who? I met Ray Park at that same convention, and he rocks. He's the one who plays Darth Maul. Darth Maul. Oh, really? He also plays the Toad in X-Men. And Snake Eyes in G.I. Joe. Oh, right on. he also plays Snake Eyes, yeah. Yeah, but he he actually was really cool is someone came up to him holding one of those double lightsabers and uh, came up to him and just started talking to him, and Ray said, can I borrow that for a sec? And he got off on the table and started spinning it around just like Darth Maul. It was just crazy. People were going crazy. I got video of it. Because uh, he is Darth Maul. It was just fantastic. All right. What do you guys think? Think we should get into our ratings? You tell me. Do you think we should get into our ratings? Well, I think this since this was Ken's pick, I think Ken should not only explain our new rating system, but also give us your first rating. Okay. Fine. So our ratings that we are uh, modifying one to five, five being that movie that you are ready to turn around and watch immediately. I think we've all had that moment when we've walked out of a movie theater 
and and you say, I'm ready to watch that again right now. I think that that is a five. And so right after the movie's over with, you're ready to watch it again right now. Three, that's a movie where it's like, okay, you know, I'm glad I saw it. A one is a movie that you are thinking, there, I saw it enough. And a zero is I feel like somebody owes me two hours of my life back. Nice. Nice. Good explanation. That about sums it up. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I I picked this movie because uh, a couple of reasons. One, when I first saw the movie in the theater, I, I really didn't know how I felt about it. There there was there was a, a ton of trolling that was happening about this movie, and I wanted very much to love this movie because Han is such an iconic character, and Star Wars is my favorite movie. It's between that and Raiders. And so I needed to have uh, a validation that Han is as iconic as I think he is in my mind. And as I watch this movie, it's, oh boy, I don't, it's, it's not delivering the way that it needs to deliver. I really wanted to love this movie. I truly wanted to love this movie. And it has good moments to it, and there are some things I enjoy about it. Unfortunately, Han isn't the main part of the movie that I love. And I expressed that earlier in talking about my characters that I loved more. My, my, my Beckett, I, I, I really loved Woody Harrelson's portrayal of him. I thought that he was great. Each time he was on the screen, I, you know, when we first meet him as the captain, loved that bit, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed also uh, the uh, the Donald Glover, uh, Lando Calrissian, great, great character development there. And unfortunately, you know, uh, Einreich, he, I, I just don't think that he 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 filled those boots the way that he needed to. But those are really big boots to fill. I really fell in love any moment the Falcon was on the screen and getting to see the Kessel Run. But in the end, you know, I, I'm glad I saw the movie. I don't own the movie, I, I, and I'm glad I got to see it again. But I, I think it's probably not necessarily one of the strongest movies in, you know, the Star Wars universe. You, you know, you're, uh, you've got a mass average movie here, I think, in Solo. It's... It's not great, but um, it's definitely not the worst of the Star Wars movies. It, I, it's in the middle, so I give it a three. There you go. <clears throat> three from the professor. Would you like me to go next? If you want to. Absolutely. Wait. Uh, wait. All in Wookiee. <laughs> really? I was not expecting that. No, not at all. A fucking five? Wow. You gave Solo <laughs> a is, five? That is amazing. You fucking suck. You, you don't understand Wookiee at all. I speak a little. I speak a little. Uh, Don, I think you hit it on the mark on some of the things that you said earlier. In fact, it's going to be one of the first times I think I agree with a lot of what Don says. In that going into this movie, I like a little tension. I like a little uh, not knowing what's going to happen. But we know right in the beginning, Han Solo is going to live. We know he's not going to end up with Kira. We know that he's going to become friends with Chewbacca. We know that Lando and him are going to both make it through the movie. You, you just you you know all these things. You know he's going to do the Kessel Run. Um, that's just all these things that you already know, and you're just 
sitting through this movie to see all these certain moments happen. I am glad I saw the movie. You know, I definitely do not want that time back because it was an overall good movie. Do I need to see it again? No. If it's on, you know, maybe I would watch it. Like if I couldn't find anything else on on Disney Plus and I see this movie there, might watch it, but I don't think I'm going to get through the whole movie. I'm just going to look for certain parts. So for that reason, kind of where you went with Professor, it's kind of an average movie. It's at the bottom of the list for me. So I've been debating a 3 and a 2.5. I'm going to go with a 2.5 on this one. Wait, hang on for a second. Okay, 2.5 from John. Lowest of the low. So you like... Episode 1 better. I would put the the prequels above this movie. God, you I'm not a big fan of the prequels, but I would actually go back... Obviously you are. If I had four movies to watch, three of them being prequels, one of them being solo... I'd probably pick one of the prequels to watch first. Rise of Skywalker? I'd still put that one higher. I'd watch that one before Solo again. I'd watch Rise of Skywalker before Solo, but I would watch Solo before any of the prequels. All right. Uh, What you just said about the prequels and Solo was completely wrong, but I will let you feel how you want to feel. My turn. Solo, a Star Wars story. Again, uh, I kept... been saying this all night uh, their heart was in the right place and for that no i i applaud them everything that i wanted to see i saw the biggest flaw in this movie for me was that this kid was no harrison ford but then again who was gonna be right nobody so that's probably a little unfair of me he does have his moments and he does come across a little han-esque every once in a while the meeting between han and chewy i loved the introduction of my favorite ship of all time i love lando knocked it out of the park beckett he was a good mentor very important to han's growth and development i agree with you ken the story wasn't i mean the story was very simple very cookie cutter uh, but that's what I kind of expected going into it. It wasn't going to be as in depth or as in uh, or as appealing as Rogue One. I would definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, put this above any of the prequels any day of the week. And yeah, I mean the prequels were just. Anyways, moving on. I am going to give Solo a Star Wars story a three. Okay. 3.0 from Dawn. All right. So we have our scores. This is the time of the podcast where we are going to select our next film. Uh, We'll break out the good old Bronco helmet. I picked last. So whose turn is it? You did? I thought I picked Solo. Maybe you did pick Solo. No, he picked Solo. So I think it might be my turn again. I picked Solo, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Because you picked Little Miss Sunshine. Yes. Okay. So yeah, you're up there, buddy. Give me the damn helmet. Fuck off. Okay. Give it to us in Wookiee. Uh, but the genre first. Oh, very interesting. I have not even heard of this movie. What's the genre? What's the, the genre? The genre is a Western. Hell or High Water. Oh, no, it's yours. It's mine. God damn it. Does that, <laughs> that make four this movies? Is, this is my fourth movie. You're going to be out early, sir. Good for you. Hell or High Water. I've never even heard about it. What is this movie about? Uh, bank robbery. Can you tell us anything about it, Professor? Never seen it. The one with Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And Where we can talk it? about... Do we know who directed it or wrote it? Or No, but I, I've heard it's really good, and I have wanted to see it, and I too have not seen it, so this will be fun. So this is a movie none of us have seen. This is excellent. 
All right. So uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we get out of here? No. John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, www.3guysandaflick.com. They can find us on Facebook. They can find us on Twitter. And any place that you go to for podcast hosting, we're likely there. All right. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. We are recording. This is Solo. A Star Wars tale. Ladies and gentlemen. Story. I fucking hate you guys. Ladies and gentlemen. I can. Please. (laughs) I will turn this car around right fucking now.